I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, work, and study, the Awabakal and Waramai peoples. I extend that acknowledgement to the land on which our listeners meet. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. I would like to provide a disclaimer that today's episode discusses sensitive topics that some of you may find to be disturbing or distressing. If you find that you are impacted by any of these issues we discussed today and feel you may need assistance, we urge you to call Lifeline or employ the counselling services provided by the University of Newcastle. Thank you to our sponsors, Espresso Warriors Katara and Dark Stories Newcastle, a true crime tour company where you can experience live and interactive crime theatre. Use the code DARKCCJS25 for a special discount. Welcome to Season 5 of the UON Crim Podcast. My name is Nick Minch and I'll be your host for the season. I am a fourth year criminology and psychology student at the University of Newcastle and I am grateful and excited for the opportunity to engage in discussions with academics from the university and share their knowledge through this platform. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Peter Gogarty, a criminologist and lecturer at the University of Newcastle about domestic and sexual violence. We are both passionate about this issue and are attempting to promote open discussion on the basis that we care and want to be a part of the solution. I hope you find Peter's knowledge and conceptualization as informing as I did. Hey, Peter, how you going? I'm good, Nick. It's always a delight to see you and I'm particularly happy to be chatting with you today. I am as well. I'm so glad that you... I'm my first guest on this podcast. You're going to make it nice yeah, and easy well, for me, Yeah, well, there you go. What a, what a privilege. <laughs> and absolutely, I'll make it easy for you. Just don't upset me. Or <laughs> <laughs> there'll be trouble. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a privilege. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm really excited about this. We're talking about a sensitive topic today. I think we, we discussed this in the past. And I'm still, I'm still not getting off on a very, uh, very positive and confident front foot, but... Do you think it's, I suppose we should acknowledge that it's two men who are talking about the topic of domestic and sexual violence in a way? Or do you even think that's an appropriate like question to ask or uh, something to acknowledge? No, not at all, Nick. I think think men need to be part of these conversations and and, um, two men talking about domestic violence, sexual violence, I mean, I I, I don't think it would be a surprise to anybody that I've got very strong convictions about these kind of issues. And I've talked about um, the role that men have played in creating these sorts of issues and, and the necessity of us being part of the solution, I think. So yeah, I don't, I don't feel any discomfort about that. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I think sometimes men need to be more visible around this issue. Yeah, I mean, we had a conversation just before we started about how I was nervous about the podcast so uh, it's a uh, it's, it's uh, I want to be very respectful when I'm mm. approaching the topic and but it's but it's also something you do it's not something that everyone's going to listen to when you have these conversations no. it feels like there's room for uh, to correct yourself and um, mm. and whatnot uh, yeah so I guess I, I guess my nerves are just coming through here uh, <laughs> yeah well Nick I think um, I think sometimes it, it's a great thing and I applaud you for it that to, to say that you're a bit you're a bit concerned about some of the sensitivities but 
but it's an important topic and we need to discuss it. And look, maybe maybe some people won't like it, but, but I still think, um, for me, it's still better for us to be involved in the discussion than kind of shy away from it because we're scared of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's why I wanted this to be the first um, podcast that I did and I also wanted it to be with you. Mm, yeah. Um, Again, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the people that are listening, could you give us a brief distinction between domestic and sexual violence? Yeah, it's... Um, I guess the, the most obvious thing is that where there's sexual violence, it's got a sexual element to it. Whereas with domestic violence, it could be a whole range of other things that are not necessarily um, sexual in any sense. So one person controlling another person's finances, controlling their friendships, sometimes even controlling what they wear. Um, It could be physical violence. It could be emotional violence in the sense that um, a man, for example, is forever telling his partner that she's completely useless, good for nothing. Um, so, yeah, as I said, there's, there's all sorts of forms of violence. And I guess sexual violence has got a sexualised nature. And it doesn't matter what the sexualised nature is. If it's any sort of sexualised violence, then it's wrong. So sexual violence uh, can be domestic violence, but yeah. it can also be... Um external to that yeah that's right so you can have sexual violence in a non-domestic relationship yeah. um, between complete strangers yeah. I guess the domestic violence stuff all happens in that sort of um, a domestic relationship which which doesn't have to be an intimate partner relationship either by the way it could be right. people that are sharing um, a house it could be um, children stepchildren um, you know siblings can all fall into the category of domestic violence and then there's other those other ones that you mentioned the um, uh, financial, the emotional, the yeah. uh, technological, mm. coer- and um, coercive, mm. uh, which is a new one that's been legislated. yeah that's right. So coercive control um, has been recently legislated, and I I applaud the government um, for for taking that step. But there's probably as ever with these things, there's more that could be done, and I think incrementally more will be done. Um, but it's it's one of the difficulties, I think, that you always strike when politics are involved. It's it's that um, trying to trying to develop good policy, but also get it through the political process. And and I don't necessarily th- condone um, the fact that the political process can t- sometimes stop things. But I I think we do have to accept that um, politics plays a part <coughs> in all of this sort of stuff, um, sadly. And as I said, I think incrementally, we're, we're seeing some good changes. Still got an awful long way to go, Nick, but um, yeah, some of the changes are good. Yeah, we've talked about the interplay between um, societal values and legislation, yeah. how societal values can prompt uh, legislative change and legis- yeah. leg- legislative change can influence societal values over yeah. a number of years and um, yeah. so it's uh, it's a good step that these coercive control uh, laws are on their way to being implemented but yeah. also um, that might take a while yeah. to become more more Im- embedded in our societal values. Yeah. And I think you're right like I think historically things where um, you know there's been a certain amount of 
societal pressure for something to happen, but not universal pressure. And then our politicians or our legislators respond to that in a positive way. And sometimes that can be a bit controversial, but what tends to happen over time is that things become less controversial as, as people realise, um, you know, maybe the world didn't end as a result of that change, um, or um, just, the, just the passage of time means that the people who are opposed to it slowly drift away and, and people as they come along, people as they mature, they're just used to the idea that that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be out of line to suggest that domestic and sexual violence has been a problem in Australia, like a, quite a serious problem for a number of decades. Oh, like decades. Friends, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think that we're doing that perpetuates this problem throughout the generations? Um, look, or, a, or doesn't stop it, I should say. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question, and and I don't, I don't. Um, sort of claim to know all the answers but one of the things that I say over and over and over again Nick in almost everything I do that everything starts with with our kids and the way we raise our kids so if we keep raising little boys to be um, uh, ex- have an expectation that they should be alpha style men you know in the sense that um, they're they're aggressive in the sporting fields, they're ultra competitive in business. Um, things like, um, you know, I, I remember my son was a pretty good soccer player. And I remember people on, you know, other teams, family members saying, you're playing like a girl to, to their sons. I think if we just keep perpetuating this um, this sense that boys have got to be tough and we also potentially are perpetuating a, a situation where girls are, are you know parents are almost teaching them to be subservient to boys and I and I know that that that's definitely changing mm. but I think a lot of that um, and and you know the boys getting together for you know like the, the boys night out of the pub or the boys weekend away at the end of the footy season it's, it's kind of perpetuating a very old-school blokiness, I think. Yeah. Do you think there's this... There's the concept of toxic masculinity that's very prevalent in the media. Yeah. Um, uh, recently. Um, do you think that's sort of like an encompassing uh, overview of what you're trying to describe there? Or do you yeah. think it's different? Or... Uh, no, I think it's probably it's a term for what I'm trying to describe. I think yeah, it's, that, been, it's, been, it's just a term, isn't it? Yeah, well, like it, yeah. And and look, I I guess in a way it it lets people who may not grasp um, all the nuance of what I'm trying to say, it gives them a term that's quite understandable. You know, like most people know what something you know if something's toxic, yeah, they know what that's about. If you say you know add that to Masculine, you know, you're talking about men, so it's men behaving badly, you know, and sometimes men behaving incredibly badly. I've really never thought about like the simplicity of like the the term before. To be yeah. honest, if you just break it down like that, yeah, it's, uh, well, can get me, can get wrapped up and whatnot. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and as I said, I just I think it encompasses every aspect of of men behaving badly. 
What are the factors that you think uh, contribute to domestic and sexual violence uh, in Australia? Uh, Let's say specifically for men, considering this like one in five women are uh, victims of sexual violence. Yeah, look, I think it's good that you mention, um, because some people will say, and I've had it said to me, um, that it's not just women who are uh, who are subject to domestic or sexual violence, and that's true. But but as you said, Nick, the numbers overwhelmingly indicate that men perpetrate this sort of violence, and women are the victims of it. So, and look, put aside the fact that most most victims of violence are um, men getting um, um, beaten up by other men, but in this context. Overwhelmingly, men are perpetrating this sort of violence against women. So I think it's a, it's a little bit like what we talked about a moment ago. I think, for a start, we have to acknowledge that, that men are genetically different. And this is not an excuse, by the way. I'm trying to, um, trying to come up with the reasons why men end up being aggressive and violent. Men have a chemical difference to women. Some men have an overabundance of testosterone, makes them more aggressive. Doesn't matter who they're dealing with or what they're dealing with, they're more aggressive. Then men are taught to be, boys are taught to be incredibly assertive. And there's a, there's a sort of a, I don't know, they're almost taught exceptionalism. You know, that, that you know, my kid's the best footy player out there. My kid's the best cricket player out there. My kid's doing <coughs> the best at this best at that then we've got a sort of a competitive environment where even you know you see people in cars on the road you think i'm not quite sure what their objective is except to get a get in front of everybody else in the traffic queue um, or get home 15 seconds earlier than they might have and so there's i think that we've created in australia and probably in most western countries and i'm not sure about other other sorts of countries but this expectation that everything is about me, 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 me. And then you add that to this, to um, you know, a testosterone fueled environment with men, the blokey environment, um, the, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, except that, as I said, I think we are effectively teaching our boys to be, um, if not aggressive, super assertive. And then I think people under pressure, it, it often brings out the worst in people. So, and again, I'm not excusing any of this behavior. I'm just no. trying to put together all the little pieces that, you know, so, um, so if, a, if a lot of young men, if they get angry, they lash out because often they don't have a different way to express their anger. And an example of this, and forgive me, I can't remember the exact details, but um, a prison in the US has been doing some experiments with men where they've effectively given them different language to express their anger. So instead of, you know, angry, lash out, they're giving them different ways to express that anger. And in that prison, the rate of violence inflicted, you know, prisoner on prisoner has dropped because for one simple reason that they've got a different way to express themselves. So I think if we can work on that and so many of these other things, um, 
then maybe we'll keep making good progress. It sounds like that's like a really good behavioural intervention. Yeah. Like, and that's definitely, and obviously that's what we need to change the behaviour first and foremost, so mm. that it's uh, it ceases to be a, uh, it ceases to be a problem where they inflict that behaviour on other people. Mm. But and if I could throw my two cents in here, I also think it's the the um, back to how we raise our kids teaching young boys young men to suppress their emotions yeah um, yep yeah they are suppression of their emotions would uh, explain a large portion of the these behaviors the violent outbursts even the suicide rates here in Australia for, yep. uh, for uh, men in particular um, that suppression can't can't last forever yeah and um, it could be that societally that's typically how what we see happen when men outburst in in, with, in violent nature yeah as a way to put it like um, yeah. yeah that suppression of their emotions uh, they keep bottling it up they bottle yeah. it up they bottle it up and then eventually it's uh, it uh, has to come out somewhere if they don't have well if they don't have a healthy means of uh, expressing that emotion yeah. like as you say in these prisons um, it can be worse or it can be yeah. poorly directed at the people that are closest to them like like typically their partners and whatnot particularly yep. when there is a particularly the emotional nature of relationships yeah um, oh, I think you make a really good point Nick that if, if and, it, and again it comes back to that you know language is not necessarily just a spoken thing but as you say if if you don't have any way to express an emotion or you've been brought up in an environment where as a boy to express an emotion um, gets a negative reaction from your parents, particularly your father, mm. then as you say, you suppress that. And sooner or later, you know, you hear circumstances where people say, well, I don't know what happened because he just snapped. Mm. And you're, you're right, I think we probably see people that get to a point where everything's suppressed for so long that when they do snap, it ends ends very, very badly. Yeah, and I think that, I think that also, if I could uh, continue on my tangent, it makes sense uh, for the ge- for how domestic violence and sexual violence perpetuates through the generations. I was mm. you know the the fathers respond negatively or with negative reinforcement to their children. Yep. Um, the children's negative emotions because yeah. they don't have the capacity to deal with that, mm. um, and they uh, they shut it down yeah. because uh, because senior children uh, upset or angry yep. um, is. Uh, emotionally stimulating for you, and if they and if you personally don't have the ability to handle that, then uh, you don't want to see it. And yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. It does get perpetuated across generations because you know we know how kids learn. Um, and and again, Nick, I know this kind of I'm not quite sure how to articulate this, but if you never learn alternative ways of dealing with things, you know, if the only way that you've been, you've been brought up is watching um, someone be aggressive, even if that's only verbally aggressive, and, and I shouldn't say only, but, but if they're, you know, without physical aggression, but forever yelling at kids, yelling at mum, yelling at other people, yelling in traffic, then the kids just grow up thinking that that's the way you deal with things. If they don't have plan B, C, D, E and F, then they'll always go to plan A. 
Yeah, I um, I don't have the I don't have the statistics in front of me, but um, you know, there's also the alcohol and drug contribution, yeah. like the learning of those habits from the people yeah. uh, closest to us, our family members and whatnot, and yeah, it obviously assists that um, that suppression and uh, yeah, yeah, and I think um, and again, I can't I can't quote you the exact numbers, but I, I've read somewhere in the last couple of years that one of the one of the most for want of a better term, busy nights for police with domestic violence call-outs is state of origin nights. And <sighs> and it won't surprise you to know that it's the whichever state loses the game has higher than normal. So it's, they're the busiest nights of the year for domestic violence call-outs. It's awful that we have to regulate that uh, yeah. or to even monitor it. It's something that we that it's notable. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I think it's a reflection again that that um, inability you know that um, emotional regulation that that somebody's temperament is so closely linked to the success or otherwise of a football team. Yes, <laughs> yes, not. <laughs> it's not, a worry. And it, Nick, the other thing that just crossed my mind, which I, I want to say, is that I don't. This is not. This this problem is not reserved for any particular category, you know, any socio-economic category of people. Um, we've seen boys at some of the most prestigious um, boarding schools or private schools in the country behaving incredibly badly as well. And, and so, you know, some of that comes out of that sense of privilege or entitlement or I can do what I want. And, and as I said, that we, we seem to be in a world where um, everything is just me, 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 um, with not enough consideration of other people and their their dignity and their rights. Yeah, I think um, it speaks to there's multiple. There's either something very fundamental that, or, or, or a few very fundamental factors that contribute to the problem, but there's also more, unfortunately, more than one avenue. Yeah. 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 Moving a little bit more into some domestic violence, just from a legal standpoint, I just want to ask some questions regarding apprehended violence orders. Yep. Um, so could you just give us a brief description of an AVO or an ADVO, provisional AVO and whatnot? Yeah. Um, look, I've, I think they're, they're potentially good things, but I've also got some reservations about how they work mm. the basic idea is and, and look firstly the victim and let's let's just um you know let's say call her a woman because most of the time it is yeah and i think i think just before you get off we are we're focusing obviously primarily on men because of the statistics but we know we in no way mean to diminish no. the because suffering is suffering, Nick. It doesn't matter who's suffering it. Yeah. And, and um, I don't know the statistics either, but I do know that um, domestic violence occurs in same-sex relationships, and I'm, I'm not so naive as to think that doesn't happen. But in this context, we are talking about the majority of um, the perpetrators are men and the victims are women. Yeah. So the problem with the, the AVO system, or the ADVO system, I think is, first of all, the, someone needs to know that there's a problem. So either the woman herself needs to 
the, the, it needs to get to a point where she decides that she's going to do something or somebody else notices something and gets the police involved so that that AVO can be issued against a person. And they've got some standard conditions and you can add in some significant other conditions about what a person can and can't do if they've got an AVO issued against them. For example? Um, so not going anywhere near anybody's place of residence, their place of work, not contacting friends, relatives, not being in a particular suburb, not being allowed to travel through a particular suburb. All these things can be put in place. Um, and of course, you know, the most obvious one is don't, you're not allowed to perpetrate any violence against that person. You're not allowed to monitor their phone. You're not allowed to track their car. Um, you can't send them emails, text messages, all of that. You, you, can't, can't, even, you can't even contact them. Can't even contact them. Right. So all of those things can be put in place, but it only works if the person who's had that um, document lodged against them, issued to them, if they are prepared to be compliant. And it's some of this is a little bit back to your point before about um, people getting to a point where you know they effectively snap. And sometimes the issuing of the AVO and that final, you know, like this is now, um, there's, a, there's a finality about this relationship. Sometimes that's the thing that causes people to snap. And having an AVO against you is not a criminal offence. Breaching the AVO is the offence. Right. So, as I said, I think, I think by and large they're a good thing because they warn people that they're on notice. But most of the time the cops are not able to monitor everyone that's got an AVO issued against them 24 hours a day. That's not realistic. No. And it does happen that the you know somebody's they've got the AVO, they are extremely agitated about it. Um, they then hit the grog, they get into a rage about it, and they decide they're going to do something about it. I think there have been recent calls for ankle monitoring yep. on... Uh AVOs or AVOs. Yeah. Um, why is that tricky to deal with legislative and? Uh... Well, you get people who say that it's you know it's a because the AVO is you haven't committed a criminal offence. So, in theory, anyone can go and apply for an AVO, and by and large, they'll be granted because it's one of those situations where it's a um, it, it's almost it's like, not worth the risk. That's right. It's not worth the risk of not issuing the AVO. And if you haven't done anything wrong, so if some somebody says they want an AVO against me and I've not done anything wrong, then really, and again, this is um, not everybody reacts this way, but really, I've got there. There's no um, me personally. I would I don't see that as a, a sort of a dent on my character. I just need to comply with the AVO, which shouldn't be a problem. Which shouldn't be a problem. And if somebody then said, and look. Um, you know, we're all human and people make mistakes. So let's assume I did make a mistake and I threatened somebody and they felt threatened yep. by my behaviour. If Which is considered assault. We, that's right. So I, I personally wouldn't have a problem with the, the ankle bracelet to, to create comfort for the other person that I'm not getting anywhere near them. But not everybody is a reasonable person. You're a better, you're a better man, Pete. <laughs> well, but 
what I'm saying is if you if there's if it's kind of like what's the lesser of the evils? I, like I I personally think even if it was a malicious complaint in the scheme of things about the number of valid complaints. I think that that's a small price to pay as a man to say, well, because so many men behave badly, that this is one of those things that I would need to put up with. The problem is that the ones that do behave badly are the ones that are most likely to be incredibly unhappy about it yeah. and make the most noise about it. Yeah, it's um. Am I maybe I'm being a bit controversial? No, I don't. No, I don't think so at all. No, I, I, it wouldn't be skin off my back to do something that wouldn't make someone feel safe if they mm. if they happen to feel threatened by me or yeah. if I had done something that they perceived to be threatening. Um, and as I said, Nick, even if it's even if it's a malicious complaint, um, it's kind of like, well, I've got nothing to be ashamed of, so I've got nothing to lose here. And if that person, if their malice, you know, they're, they're hoping for an angry reaction and actually make you do something um, stupid, the best thing you can do is just, you know, smile and accept that that's the way it's going to be. So you think it would be a good idea? Yeah, I um, do. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. But, I, but I think people who are big on civil liberties would say, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a step too far, and I understand exactly where that's coming from because I think we're getting to a point where um, opportunities for surveillance and um, people being under control of Big Brother, for want of a better term, it, it potentially is getting out of hand. But um, but, I, but the but the problem is as well. That's right. The problem has been out of hand for a long, long time. So if we, you know, it's the old definition of insanity. Keep. Um, doing the same thing and expecting different outcomes. Yeah, um, we have been making some progress from a legislative standpoint. Very recently, we mentioned the coercive control laws yep. that are being passed through government at the moment. Yep. Um, more recently, as well, uh, affirmative consent laws. Yeah. Could you walk us through those? Yeah. So I think um, I think that's enormously positive step in the right direction. That. No longer can people say, well, I thought she was consenting, so it can't be a sexual assault. Now there must be, and, and again, we've had, um, we've had people jumping up and down saying, well, look, what do you do? You, you, you stop in the middle of an intimate moment and say, um, do you want to do this? Or, and people are you know, ridiculous saying we should have written contracts. and um, That's not what it's about. It's, what it's about is having absolute certainty between the two parties to any sexual activity, doesn't matter what it is, that they are both enthusiastic participants in that activity. So if someone consents to one sort of sexual activity and the other person wants to go further than that, that's not all right unless they are still absolutely 100% convinced through a message delivered to them by the other person that they are still enthusiastically engaged in that activity. So I know that there's going to be some grey around this, but you know we've had we have had all sorts of excuses for sexual assaults. I thought she she said it was okay, or um, I didn't realise that she was that drunk. They're not they're not good enough. They're just excuses for again for men behaving very badly, and I don't think. 
it's unreasonable at any level to say if there's sexual contact of any kind between two people, they both must be enthusiastically engaged in it. Not coerced into it, not if you love me, you'll do this, not if you care about me, you'll do that. It's not the way it should be. You might have forgotten this because we talked about it a few months ago, but you asked me to ask you a question that sort of like rolls relatively on from that. Um, I believe you were talking to the Attorney General about some laws regarding stealthing? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Well, what is stealthing? So, stealthing is removing a condom during sex. So, it gets back to that consent thing, Nick. Someone consents to um, a sexual encounter on the proviso that a condom's used. Some people, once they've started engaging in the, the sexual activity, then remove the condom without asking the other person if that's okay without telling them maybe the other person doesn't get to know at all. Um, that is a clear breach of that person's consent. That, that could result in an unwanted pregnancy, it could result in a um, sexually transmitted disease, but even if it doesn't, it is still not the activity that that person consented to, plain and simple. So it's, it, to me, it's a breach it's a sexual assault, should be encompassed in our sexual assault laws. Uh, not under affirmative the affirmative consult laws or as part of that? Well, or? I think it's part of that because again, if there's a change in the nature of the activity agreed to, there needs to be an understanding of that consent. Right. And if, if stealthing, the, you know, the word is, it's done by stealth, if the other person doesn't know, they can't consent to that. Um, <clears throat> we're sort of uh, reaching the end of um, the podcast here. Kind of want to end, end on a more positive, productive note to an extent. What do you think that we as individuals or anyone listening to this podcast, students or uh, anyone about, or so even like a larger corporate or government entities or anything like that can do to help target this problem? I think, Nick, it's a bit, it's a bit back to... Big, big question. <laughs> well, it is, it's, it's a huge question, but I think some of it goes back to where we started with this, and that is men not being um, nervous to be engaged in this conversation, because men are the problem, men have also got to be the, the solution. We can't, you know, I don't know how many rallies you see where, you know, it's talking about women's rights, or it's talking about sexual assault. And everyone there, and I shouldn't say everyone, but the vast majority of people there are women talking about things done to women by men. Men need to stand up, all sorts of men and corporations, and say, not on my watch. They need to say, you know, like, you know, and I look, I don't know how you do this without looking, um, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, looking like you're just paying lip service to the problem, but men confronting other men about the things they say, the things they do, um, and and it could be really, really, you know, it, it could be down at the pub sort of stuff. But if men keep, if they keep thinking, well, look, I don't necessarily like it, but I'm not going to speak up about it, 
Um, I'm not doing it. It's not my problem. That's right. But it is my problem because, you know, one of the things that I say to my students over and over again, and for some of them it becomes a bit of a joke, <laughs> that I'm, I'm across the old white bloke. You are. I agree. Yeah. Thank uh, you. <laughs> and you, you will get there, Nick. No, being a, being never. <laughs> a white bloke, you will end up, you may not be crusty, but you will, <laughs> at some point you will be an old white bloke. Okay. Um, one day. <laughs> yeah. One day. And look, it's a long way off for you. Yeah. But, um, but. I am enormously privileged. I'm, you know, born in one of the best countries in the world at one of the best moments to be on this planet. Dodged um, the periods where men my age would have been shuffled off to war and maybe didn't come back. Um, born blonde-haired, blue-eyed in a, you know, in a family that had some money, went to a good school. Blonde hair. Blonde hair, not not this silver blonde that I've got now. Uh, platinum blonde, I call it. Glorious. Um, it is glorious. Um, but um, so I think, for me, like that privilege brings responsibility. You know, and the more privilege you've got, the more responsibility you've got. So saying it's not my problem, or I don't like it, but, or saying somebody should do something about that, to me is then I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution. And I'd like to think that the way I spend my days, the way I live my life, is that I'm constantly trying to be part of the solution. Well, you've mentioned uh, this point to me previously, and I just want you to know that that's the reason I chose to do this podcast. And I wanted to learn more and help uh, spread information that is uh, potentially helpful uh, for anyone listening, um, or at least insightful maybe even inspiring for other men to stand up and own the problem. Yeah, I hope so, Nick. And look, I don't want people to put themselves in harm's way. No, you know, of course not. Um, never want people to do that because, you know, that would be, you know, I would feel incredibly guilty about that and people shouldn't put themselves into those situations. But I think at a broad level, we have to be part of the solution. And as I said, I, that's how I try and um, live my life and on all sorts of fronts, not just this one, um, speak up about things that you're concerned about and um, try and do your little bit. And every little bit is important. If everyone does their little bit, then we'll make a lot of progress. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Peter. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Nick, it's been an ab absolute privilege. It's a privilege to know you. I'm so pleased that you're doing this work and uh, I wish you and your listeners, all the best. Thanks, Peter. You've been listening to the UON Crim Podcast, hosted by Nick Minch, run by the University of Newcastle's Criminology and Criminal Justice Society. I'd like to thank today's guest, Peter Gogarty, and the podcast team, Jess Horn and Zalia Windham. Please stay tuned for our next episode. You can stay up to date by following the UON CCJS on social media. Thanks for listening.